0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Be sure of this, the Apostle tells us today, no immoral, impure, or covetous man has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Most of you who know me as a preacher have perhaps come to predict what I speak to you about every year at this time of year, and it's my set time in my program of preaching to speak to you about this subject. This year I take it from a slightly different angle, also because I usually speak to you about this on the second Sunday of Lent, for those who keep track. This Sunday, however, it is on the third Sunday of Lent that I preach to you, and so I have the opportunity to preach to you on this subject in a different way. That is why I begin by giving you all a small and I think very enjoyable homework assignment for this midpoint in Lent, that is, in the coming week, to read the entire epistle of today, that is to say, not just this passage, but all six chapters of the epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians. I hope you will have the opportunity to do that in the coming days. Feel free to take your small Bible with you when you come to 40 hours, for instance, you can spend some time in silent spiritual reading even before the Blessed Sacrament, and on other occasions as well. Hopefully we'll find the time in the next week or so to read this entire epistle to the Ephesians. In it you will find everything to do with our midway point in Lent. You find that the love of Christ for sinners and the riches of his sacred heart, the four marks of the Church, and our special calling to further the truth in charity, words which become the motto of the Institute of Christ the King, and the sacraments of Christ, which take birth from his most pure love for his spouse, the Church. It is important to note that today's passage of the Epistle, which speaks about the subject I have in mind for you, is continued by another passage, one with which some of you are quite familiar. Today's passage of the Epistles to the Ephesians continues into the passage which we read at marriages, and it speaks about the duties of husband and wife and the calling of man to imitate Christ, who laid down his life for the Church, insisting that it is, above all, this sacrificial love that a husband must have for his wife. This, then, is the great culmination of the thought that begins today when the Apostle speaks to us about sin against this holy virtue. Before speaking about a sin, I always preface by saying that there is a reason why I choose a particular time of year to speak about it and do not simply preach about it every single Sunday. For many ages, the Church has counseled her confessors and her preachers not to dwell too long on this particular sin by dragging souls along in this way. We can encourage scruples and despair. No, we cannot speak about it all the time, but it must be preached on at least from time to time. After all, Our Lady of Fatima in our times did say that more souls go to hell because of this sin than for any other reason. Nevertheless, As you well know, I don't like to speak about it directly. It's much more useful to speak about the opposing virtue. For in terms of speaking about it, those who advertise and glamorize this sin love to hear us talk about it, even if we are speaking against it. The victory is theirs. All that matters is that their ideas, their images, and their vocabulary. Implant themselves in our hearts. It is this great epistle to the Ephesians, as you will soon learn, which speaks at the end about the spiritual combat, which is also the theme for this Sunday. And the greatest spiritual authors who speak to us of this combat insist that our strategy for combating this sin in our own soul must be different from the tactics we employ against the others. It is good to stir ourselves up by staring our sloth, our envy, our anger, our gluttony in the face. But with this sin, this unspeakable sin, we must stop short. We do not make progress by spending time reflecting on the ugliness and shamefulness of this sin. On the contrary, we risk contaminating ourselves even further. We must strive never to think of it at all. St. Ignatius tells us that in this battle, it's the coward who takes the shield. That is why, as usual, I am determined not to give this sin any airtime today. The less air we give it, the sooner we will snuff it out. But without speaking directly of it, I can remind you of the three sovereign remedies for it. And these remedies apply to everyone. Each is intended, though, for a particular sort of people. But when I say we speak of three different sorts of people, I mean three sorts of people who have one thing in common, and if they do not have this thing in common, then there is no point listening to the sermon at all. What these three groups of people have in common is that they all earnestly desire to be pure. The first remedy, then, I have in mind is primarily for those who sadly have lost their innocence and are mired in this sin. They earnestly want to regain the angelic virtue, but they are unable to feel contrition and make the good confession which will start them down that road. Do not be discouraged at this point. Think of the gospel we heard yesterday, which very much ties into this Sunday as well. The gospel of the prodigal son. What wonders of the mercy of our God. How condescending he is to come down to our level and accept even our imperfect contrition in order to make a good confession. For for most of those who are mired in this sin, it is with an imperfect contrition that we begin. Therefore, to such people I repeat my earlier warning. Do not spend time trying to reflect on the ugliness of this sin. Meditate instead on your coming end, on death, judgment, and your final destination. Eternity is coming closer for you every day. And this sin is devouring the time that remains to you. Even looking at your life in this world, consider that this sin, more than any other, deafens your ears, the ears of your heart, to your vocation in life. It may be keeping you from the happy married life, which otherwise would have been yours. Now, In Lent, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Our good God, in the riches of His Sacred Heart, promises love and forgiveness for those who turn to Him. To none of us does He promise tomorrow. Secondly, there is the group of people who have happily returned to God. They are now fighting this sin, and they are resolved to avoid the occasions of it. The first remedy may have helped them until this point, but now they may begin to apply in earnest the second remedy, control of the senses. The devil wreaks havoc on the human race by his exploitation of the senses, especially the senses touch. Even before the occasion of sin presents itself, we must rise early and take the field by reminding our senses that it is our will that rules the soul. Among the many small penances which we can perform in this regard which do not go beyond the realm of prudence we can maintain good posture especially in God's house but everywhere else as well, even when alone and always keep ourselves well cared for and well groomed we should always take the time to dress carefully and correctly This goes even beyond, of course, the rules of modesty, which apply to everyone. We must shun all forms of curiosity, this little vice which labors so well in the service of this greater one. You may know that St. Alphonsus had a special devotion to God's precious gift of time, and he made the famous vow never to waste a moment of it. Would you perhaps consider making the lifelong resolution never to waste a moment of time online or on electronic devices? I don't mean that you should never use them again. They are a tool of our time. Regard them, then, as what they are. A useful but dangerous tool, an occasionally good form of recreation with friends and family, like family movie night, and a terrible form of recreation when alone. Finally, finally, there are those who, by the grace of God, have never lost their innocence. Or if they have lost it, they have, through prayer and penance, returned to the happy society of pure souls. So many of the saints remind us that, yes, although those who have never lost their innocence soar like the dove. Those who have regained it, run with great speed and strength. These souls must never cease to apply and reapply the first and second remedies. For for them and for all of us, there is a third, more nourishing medicine. We must never cease to nourish our souls by considering the joys and the glories of the virtue of chastity. There is the great school of prayer, the model for us all, which is the religious life. We see the boundless zeal of holy priests and missionaries. Or we look to the love and generosity of spouses. and We find in all those who are pursuing the devout life this quiet virtue, which gently reminds us that although we are body and soul, we are soul before body. As always, I end preaching this subject by a word to parents, for it is the great work of this combat today to preserve the innocence of those who are littlest among us. I know how earnestly you parents labor to preserve this great virtue in your household. I know that you cherish your child's innocence. You would defend it with your very lives. Please do not lose heart. Do not think that this combat is pointless. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. I know well that the world makes a laughing stock of you. Rejoice and be glad. You are on the Mount of the Beatitudes. Your reward is great in heaven. You and your children have a gladness, a youthfulness, and what we consider, least of all, I think, a boundless strength from this virtue, which the world can never know. As we enter this beautiful month of March, may St. Joseph, that quiet and strong, powerful lover of chastity, grant us the grace to serve Jesus and Mary with unspotted minds and hearts, so that when this short life is finished, we may be counted worthy to ascend the Lord's holy mount and find the joy which he promised to us in that sermon, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen.